I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I am Don LaGreca. Monday means the great E.J. Raddick coming off a spectacular call on NHL International with Kevin Weeks of the Stanley Cup Final as the Lightning are crowned champions for back-to-back seasons. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How you doing today, buddy? Good. Having some fun, getting ready for you know what becomes a very interesting offseason, and there's so much to get into, but I guess before... We do that. Just you know, your overall impressions of what Tampa was able to accomplish here. It's not easy to win back-to-back titles. Certainly, they did it under very adverse conditions. Certainly, in the bubble last year, and then this year, the short 56-game schedule that probably didn't work to their advantage a lot, but in some ways, it did with the whole you know Kucherov and everything else. But still, to be able to be just the third team in the last 25 years to accomplish it, pretty uh, pretty decent feat by the Lightning. Yeah, it's really special, I think. I mean, you know, they were fortunate. They were able to keep their team together, and the the injury uh, to Kucherov to having to have the hip surgery ended up being something that did help them in, the, in a cap world and allowed them to move forward with some of the players they already had and uh, even allowed them to go out and add pieces, uh, you know, add a David Samard at the, uh, at the trade deadline. So... Um, they went through, I thought, a pretty a pretty rough gauntlet of teams at the start, particularly. I mean, Florida gave uh, them a lot of trouble. We can go yeah. back and remember that series. And If Florida had maybe been a little bit more uh, mature in their game and uh, a little bit more disciplined, they might have been able to make even more hay in that series. Uh, Carolina's a really good team, but, you know, Tampa was able to find ways to to get through them in five games, which is pretty impressive. And then, uh, you know, the New York Islanders went to Game 7. It was a one-shot game, one nothing in Game 7 in Tampa. So that was quite a, I think, quite a gauntlet to run to get through to the final. And, you know, the Montreal Canadiens, you might be able, you might argue that the Montreal Canadiens were the, the easiest of the four teams they had to play. So, uh, at any rate, uh, you know, you got to give them credit to win eight series in a row. Not easy to do, and uh, it will be different next year. They're going to have some changes for sure because of the salary cap, but uh, a great run by the ownership group, Jeff Vinnick, the GM, Julian Brisbois, the coaching staff led by John Cooper and all the players. I mean, just a terrific effort. Yeah. And it's interesting, we're analyzing a Stanley Cup final with two teams that played each other that will be in the same division next year and you look at Montreal and and many people want to describe it as the 06 Oilers right the team that just had this miracle run and then what happened after that they came back down to earth and you know spent a decade out of the playoffs I don't see Montreal being that because Montreal's been a consistent playoff team leading into this I think people were surprised they made the run that they did but I don't see them falling off the map I'm not sure I see them you know on the doorstep of a championship but I don't think they're going to fall and experience the same fate 
that the 06 Oilers did, do you? Well, I mean, you got to remember the 06 Oilers, their best player was Chris Pronger, and in the offseason, he basically asked out. Yeah. And he ended up, uh, you know, in Anaheim with the Ducks and eventually won a Stanley Cup there. So, you know, I don't I don't foresee that happening at this point with the Canadians. But, uh, you know, they're going to have some challenges. They've got an interesting mix there because they've got some, some really good young players like Caulfield and Suzuki. I, I don't really understand where they where they are with Kakiniemi. Uh, I don't know why he wasn't playing in the finals. He was scratched for a couple of games. I didn't think he, I thought there were other players that uh, probably had earned that trip to the press box a little bit more than he did. Um, they'll have to figure that out with him moving forward. But, I mean, those are three pretty good young players. Uh, Romanoff is, uh, you know, another guy I thought would play more during the postseason, did not. But he's a good young player. And then they've got, you know, some of the graybeards. I mean, the goaltender, Carey Price, is into his, uh, you know, mid-30s now. You got Shea Weber. And, I mean, that big four on defense, I think Ben Sherrod at age 30 is the youngest of those four guys. So um, they've got some, you know, they got some figuring out, some things to figure out. And, you know, and uh, Philip Deneau is an unrestricted free agent, and they're up against the cap-wise. So can they make some kind of accommodation to have room to keep Philip to know. So we will see. I think Mark Bergerman was smart. He saw an opportunity being in the North Division this year where it was the path was a little bit, uh, let's say, a little, there was a path, a path of least resistance to get through. And then they found a way to beat Vegas in the semifinals. So, you know, we'll see what he does in the offseason. But there are certainly some, some more questions and some more challenges for that group. All right, so now we got the off season, uh, a short off season. We welcome in the Seattle crack into the fold. So we've got an expansion draft. We've got the uh, NHL draft coming up. So there's a lot that's going to be happening here over the next couple of months. And what is a short off season with everything scheduled to begin on October 12th? Let's start with the Kraken. A lot of pressure on them, right? Because of what Vegas kind of set the template for success. Usually, expansion teams are given you know, five, six years to kind of get going. And there's that honeymoon period. How difficult is it going to be for Seattle when the expectations now are going to be, can this team do what Vegas did or at least be competitive and make the playoffs in their first year? Well, I think, you know, I think they will set their expectations within their group, right? Rod Francis and, and their ownership group. I mean, Vegas's expectation was to try to be really good, really quick, uh, Bill Foley talked about winning a Stanley Cup, I think, in the first five or six years. Hasn't happened yet, but they've been to a final, and they've been to a semifinal. I, I mean, they've, they've been in the mix. There's no question about it. I don't know if the formula that they've concocted is going to be enough to get them all the way through to the end, but certainly they have been a, a team that's been in the mix and been willing to to do what's necessary to the cap to make things happen. Now, Vegas might take a different approach. I get the sense with Ronnie Francis. Donnie, from, you know, we remember him in Carolina. He is more of a patient guy. So I don't think they're going into it saying, hey, we have to win the Stanley Cup in the first four years of our existence. But I do think there's some pressure to be competitive and to be successful. And I'll be curious to see how this expansion draft plays out, what moves are made, 
because they do benefit from the fact that we're in this kind of flat cap world right now after this after the pandemic, and teams are looking uh, to divest from some contracts that maybe haven't been what they hope for or trying to move guys out just because they can no longer afford to keep them. And it puts Seattle in a very interesting place. So I'll be really curious to see what their approach is and uh, if they can use that cap space to help leverage getting uh, the kind of pieces that they want from the various teams that have challenges. So it's going to be an interesting, really interesting few weeks for all the teams because, uh, you know, there are a lot of contracts out there that I'm sure managers would love to offload if they could. And uh, they might see an opportunity in Seattle, but in doing that, Ron Francis is going to want to exact a price, most likely in young players and prospects. And the plan seems to be, EJ, that they'll slide into the Pacific Division and the Coyotes will move to the Central? That is uh, what I understand, yes. I mean, there was some discussion that they would revisit that, but I do think that's how it's going to play out. Because there were people that were intrigued by the way things lined up this year. Um, Obviously, you don't want to play exclusively in your division, but did you get a sense that people liked the format that we saw during the pandemic and especially with the top four teams in each division advancing like the old school days? I think that uh, I think there were some in Canada that enjoyed having that North division. But I think as the season wore on, Donnie, I think it was less of a novelty. And uh, I think uh, the league certainly never was interested in having this be more than a one-year proposition. So we will move back into the old uh, divisions and, you know, we'll see what, how, you know, what things are, are holdovers. Like would, you know, the teams that play multiple times in a season, now they're not going to play as many times as they played this year with teams playing each other eight, nine, ten times, depending on what division you were in. But, uh, you know, we could see those circumstances where teams play back-to-back games in the same city to save on travel. I mean, that certainly makes sense in an era where we're looking yeah. where teams are looking to uh, cut corners and cut costs. As, uh, as I said, we come out of a, you know, a pandemic where revenues were down by, you know, dramatically. So, I can see that as something moving forward, and I think it was something that I think the players didn't mind, and I think the fans didn't mind. So, sometimes, you know, you, you do things, and you realize, hey, this is not a bad idea, and you bring them forward. All right, some of the key things in the off-season, Eichel, uh, where do you ex- what do you expect is going to happen with uh, Buffalo? Oh, boy. Well, I mean, everybody's got to get the medicals on Eichel, right? you got to be comfortable <laughs> that he's going to be okay. And by all accounts, we think at some point, whether he's going to have this neck procedure, what he wants to do, or what the the team or a team that gets him wants to do, I mean, that's the key, right? You have to be convinced that Jack is going to be healthy and to be the Jack Eichel that we know. So that's first and foremost where we're at. I I think that the Anaheim Ducks are positioned really well if they're interested to get them because they have a Drysdale and a Zegris. One, a combination of one or both, or a combination of one plus picks plus other players could be something that Buffalo would be interested in. I think it does have another benefit for the Sabres is that Jack Eichel is sent out west where he's not coming to visit 
the uh, Harbor Center and that that, that arena every uh, you know every, every other month. So you know that could be a destination for them. I think the Rangers are certainly looking at it. Uh, a number of teams are, are looking at it. I mean, I would think anybody would have the who could figure out a way to acquire a player like that if healthy would certainly be interested. But I think for a variety of reasons that Anaheim could be a spot. But again, it's really going to depend on the medicals because you're not going to trade significant assets to to get a guy that may not be able to be the same player that he was. So uh, it is one of those things that's going to continue to play out. And uh, it will be fascinating to see where he ends up and what his health is going to be moving forward. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, you brought up the Rangers, and I know that's been a rumor for a long time. Chris Drury definitely wants to put his fingerprints on this team. They do seem they have some movable pieces um, trying to get to that next level. They want to try to add some toughness as well. I think this is a big offseason for the Rangers because patience is going to start to run out. Uh, if you don't count going to the bubble as going to the playoffs, four straight years of not making it in what is going to be a colossally tough division for them, uh, they lose Boston, but they you know welcome Carolina back into the fold. So, how aggressive do you think Chris Drury is going to be this offseason? Well, I think I think there is going to there is a little bit of a mandate for him to be because obviously ownership wasn't happy with the direction of things so much so that they cleaned everyone out, right? And with the exception of Chris, really. So, um, yeah, they've got to find an element of toughness to their group. They have a new coach in Gerard Gallant who will uh, approach things, I would imagine, in a different way. Um, I would think that, uh, you know, Chris is going to be very aggressive in trying to, to kind of remodel this team. I, we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years, Donnie. For me, I mean, the Rangers are still in the sorting process, which is, you know, they've had all these picks and different young players and trying to figure out which which one of the, you know, which of the players of this, you know, of this uh, stockpile are going to be the guys that are going to be your New York Rangers moving forward, and then which guys are going to be uh, fodder for movement and to acquire other pieces. So that's where I think that group is going to have to really dig in and, and try to figure that out. Uh, they've got this advantage yet contract situation to work on and you know in a in a non-cap world I mean you just sign you can do a long-term deal and you're done with it and if it doesn't work out you're the New York Rangers you can buy him out or read his contract or whatever and it doesn't matter but you know we live in a salary cap world and uh, you know you got to figure out what kind of commitment you want to make to Mika long term at his age and Dollars and so this is the I, I've said it for a while now. I think that's a really interesting decision they have to make there. There's no question he's a really good player. The idea is though, do you want to get? Are you looking to sign him? You know, is it going to be an eight-year deal? And then if it's an eight-year deal, what's the the cap hit on an eight-year deal? So 
that's a, that's the thing that Chris Drury is going to have to look at as well. And, uh, you know, like I said, there's a lot of questions uh, that the Rangers have to answer. But I do think Chris is, is aggressive. And going back to the whole Jack Eichel thing, Jack Eichel is represented by a guy named Peter Fish. And Peter Fish is uh, very good friends with Chris Drury. So that doesn't mean that Jack Eichel uh, will end up with the New York Rangers because the Buffalo Sabres would have to find uh, an appropriate deal to make. I mean, they're going to try to make the best deal they can make for their franchise. And I, quite frankly, Donnie, I don't think the Rangers have the pieces that the, that the Sabres really need to get better. They have a lot of good pieces, but I don't know if there's a if there's a deal there that really benefits the Sabres unless they get six six pieces for for uh, for Jack Eichel, and I can't imagine the Rangers are going to do something like that. So, mm. uh, you know, there's a lot of little connections, as you know, in the world of sports and in hockey, and that's one of them that that Jack's uh, Jack's agent and Chris Drury are pr- pretty good friends for a long time. All right, Seattle's attractive because of the cap space. So's Detroit. So, how do you what teams do you think will use that situation with the Red Wings to alleviate some cap space and some of the creative things that Detroit might try to do with Steve Eiserman? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of teams that are up against it, right, that are looking to move players out. I mean, the Tampa Bay Lightning, for sure, have a lot of a lot of different things to try to figure out. Now, they're fortunate that, you know, Tyler Johnson played well in the, in the playoffs and in the final, and perhaps uh, he's a more more of a commodity now. He's got three years left, five million dollars per year. He is a uh, he is someone that grew up in the Pacific Northwest, you know, in the Seattle area. So uh, I don't know if that holds any interest uh, for Seattle. But I mean, in a situation like that, right? I mean, Seattle might say we'll take Tyler Johnson, but then you'll also trade us X, Y, and Z. Right, and that might be a way to acquire several assets. The Detroit Red Wings could say, "Hey, we'll take Tyler Johnson, and you'll give us this, and that way you'll you'll have a little less to worry about with the expansion draft." And so that could be something that that plays out. So I, I just think there's any number of things. I mean, in in Minnesota, I mean, it was funny. Uh, several years back with Vegas, they had to go out of you know through hoops to protect Matt Gumba. They might be in this very same position again this year because if they don't go, if they go seven three and one, Matt Dumba's kind of the odd guy out just because of no move clauses and different contracts that they have in Minnesota. So there are a number of teams, Don, that are going to be scrambling to and have been scrambling and and likely have been talking to. You know, a, a Steve Eisenman in Detroit, and obviously Ronnie Francis in in Seattle, and maybe uh, Tom Fitzgerald in New Jersey, and the teams that have cap room to help alleviate. And if you're a general manager of one of those teams that have space, you're looking to better your team through this process. So uh, I'm actually a little surprised, Donnie, that we haven't seen a few moves already. But I would imagine throughout the week we will see some trades and some interesting things. I mean. You know, the Tarasenko situation in St. Louis, he is looking sure. uh, to get out of St. Louis. And I have, I have, I got to think it's going to be a really hard deal to make. Someone coming off significant injuries over the last couple of years, had a number of surgeries, got a high cap hit. Uh, there's big dollars still attached to that contract. So good luck moving him. 
Uh, the Seth Jones situation in Columbus, I got to think they're going to try to move Seth Jones out um, because he's going to test the market after this season. I think if you hold on to Seth Jones into the season and try to move him at the deadline, I don't think you get near as, near as much in return. So that's a situation. Uh, and remember, in, in Columbus, I mean, they're just going through a tragedy there with uh, Batiste Kim Lennox. I know. And, you know, so there's a lot happening just in that market that has nothing to do with Seth Jones right now. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of teams that are that are going to be looking to reposition themselves. And uh, I think it's going to be a fascinating two, three weeks. Yeah, there's no question. It should be a fascinating season, too, getting back to an 82-game schedule. And the other question that's being talked about is, what do we do with the Olympics? Are the players going to go? Now, there's always that debate. Should they? Shouldn't they? It's always good high profile, but where it's going to be doesn't necessarily translate into getting a lot of eyeballs on the screen. Do you want to shut down the sport for 16 days? But then throw another level into it, EJ, that even though things are looking great with the pandemic, we don't know what's happening with this Delta variant. We don't really know what the future is going to lie as far as everything is going to be back to 100% by the time we get to February. So is it really a good idea to have these players go overseas where there's so much unknown? And I think Gary understanding uh, the relationship with the players um, is is not uh, being um, adversarial about it, but you know clearly this is going to be a debate that's going to rage here, and how do you think it's going to turn out? Yeah, it is going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. The commissioner did talk about the idea of getting some kind of insurance or illness for players, um, which I don't know if that's, you know, they said that's either difficult to get or something that uh, has kind of come and gone. So, um, you know, the, the, the league did, in the, in the CBA negotiations last year, the league did really kind of make a, uh, a verbal commitment of some sort to go to the Olympics. And, you know, because they knew the players wanted that. But obviously we were, they were in no position because of the situation with the pandemic to make anything hard and fast because, you know, it is a fluid situation. I think the players want to go. I think the league feels an obligation to make good on that the, that kind of verbal commitment to allow them to go. I think, uh, you know, with being in Beijing, uh, you know, obviously that's a huge market. The, the world we live in right now politically is fraught with a lot of different issues. So that's, uh, you know, something that's also kind of a, a subplot to all this. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, I get the sense I had to wager on it right now, I would probably say they will go, but I don't think it's a clear path, and, you know, it becomes problematic because the league has to make the schedule, and from what I understand, they've got two schedules, and one that includes an Olympic, one that does not, so I would think it's something they would like to get worked out as as soon as possible, because... You know, they want to get this schedule out, and it is a short turnaround this year, and they want to get moving toward yeah. the upcoming 21-22 uh, season with a new franchise coming into play. You know, it, it's one thing, just, just, just from a fan standpoint, EJ, and, and the growth of the NHL 
And I don't want to come across like I'm siding with the owners. I'm just looking at it from a fan perspective and want to see the growth of the game. When it's in Vancouver, when it's in Salt Lake City, it, it's a different story. When it's in Beijing, it's you know these games are going to be very, very late at night. I'm not really sure it's going to get much of a bump or get the exposure that they were looking for. And and you're shutting down a sport after having you know one season that had a four month break, another season that was shortened to 56 games. I just don't know how much it really helps the NHL, helps the growth of the sport to you know just uh, in the in the middle of a of a season shutting down for 16 days and it not really I think having much of a benefit getting a lot of people you know exposed to the sport with the time difference here in the states and Canada. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I, and I I would say this, I've always been kind of a proponent of the league. You know, there's the World Cup of Hockey. I've always been kind of a proponent of the league doing a best on best tournament on their own and running it in the Olympic window and doing the shutdown, but running it in, in basically in North America and controlling the whole project. And, uh, you know, you could sell that those rights as something completely separate from your TV package. And you would, uh, you know, you'd have a window in, you know, right after the Super Bowl. I mean, that's kind of the, the you know, maybe on the Tuesday after the Super Bowl, you start the tournament and it runs for the same length of time and but you control the whole thing and it's done here where the times it is you're, you're selling the game for the north american fan and uh obviously people around the globe would have the ability to watch the games as well i mean it might it might be something that could grow over time into something completely different but you know i think with the olympics it's uh you know you're playing in a different circumstance there you're dealing with you know the uh, the Olymp- the IOC, and you're dealing with the International Ice Hockey Federation. There's a lot that goes on with that. So I don't know if the NHL will ever do that. They do run the, you know, they have had the World Cup of Hockey, which was an uh, which is an outgrowth of the old Canada Cup from years gone by. I would like to see the league really invest in that and do it in that same window. And I think it could be a terrific tournament and it could gain stature over time. But, uh, you know, they have to be willing to commit to that. And, you know, the players, you know, the current players grow up watching the Olympics. And so that's the draw more even than a best-on-best tournament. So, um, but I'm with you. I I think that when they're not held here, and I go back to 06 in in Italy and 2014, and, you know, it just wasn't the same as it was, uh, you know, on the years that it was in Salt Lake and in Vancouver. Yeah, because you want to be able to have a good time. I mean, one of the great memories, just because I worked overnights at the fan at the time, was 98 and that shootout between the Czech Republic and Canada. And, you know, that was 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, yeah. so I, I just yeah. happened to be up and I was working over. Now, I would have stayed up anyway because I'm a sick fan. But I, I don't know how as great as that was, what a great moment it was for hockey. And I'll never forget it. You know, 23 years later, you know, I don't know how much yeah. it resonated with a lot of the fringe fans, considering that it was so early in the morning because of the time difference when they were in Tokyo. So uh, those that's what you're. Yeah. The, the whole involvement is to try to sell the sport, and that's why they're willing to shut it down. This just, and listen, you got to have a nice relationship with the players. That's a partnership. I get that, but I just don't know how it really helps fans and how it really helps the growth of the sport to shut down for plus, you know two plus weeks, especially after the last couple of seasons that we had. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, I mean, I guess when you're talking about growth around the globe of, of the game in China and in different places, I mean, I'm sure that there's there's help in that area. I just don't know if it does much for the fan here in North America. And, you know, at the end of the day, those are your customers. So I guess we will see how it plays out. But if you ask me, Don, I get the sense yeah. that if, uh, if there's a way to work it out, they're going to go this year, but we'll see. And um, Pierre Maguire is now working with the Ottawa Senators. Um, didn't I, I don't know. I don't really know the timeline. Maybe you know better than I. I mean, I did not hear his name mentioned for TNT and certainly not ESPN. So whether that was just known that he was going to take a job with a team. I know he had interviewed with, with, a, with three or four teams for a general manager position while he was at NBC. Um, I don't know your relationship with him. I knew him a little bit. He was always good to me. I always enjoy... You know, talking to him, I know that there were a lot of fans that just couldn't take him. Um, he definitely was Jägermeister, right? You either loved him or hate him. He was just that kind of acquired taste. But uh, it looks like he got his wish of getting back into the league and, and working with the Senators. Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, Pierre's been on you know NBC for many, many years now. He's been broadcasting for more years than that, doing work at TSN. And uh, mm-hmm. you're right, he's somebody that... You know, I think anybody, Don, and you know being in, in this business, like, was the same with me. I think anybody that's on a lot, uh, you're, you know, you get overexposed a little bit, and people, you know, they either, they sometimes they don't like you just because they see you a lot. I don't know. I mean, who knows? But you're right. He is. Uh, he was a polarizing figure for sure uh, amongst fans, I would say. Uh, I always enjoyed seeing Pierre. He's somebody who does his work. Uh, he's not unprepared. He uh, knows the game. He's been doing it for a long time. And, uh, you know, he's had – there's been a lot of little stories over time about him going back into management. They never kind of came to fruition. Now he's in a situation with uh, NBC losing the rights. I don't think he was really a player at either of the other U.S. broadcasting uh, companies moving forward, and the timing was right for him. And Let's face it, good for him. He's going into a situation. The Ottawa Senators are loaded with good young players. Yeah. You know, Pierre was already part of a Stanley Cup winner in the early 90s as an assistant coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, uh, you know, now he's walking into a situation in Ottawa where they have a chance to get real good real quick. So, uh, you know, I don't have any I, – I, you know, again, I watch the games. I don't really have any ill will against anybody who does them. I just try to enjoy the game, and I'm looking at it from – obviously from a different perspective but uh, I wish him nothing but the best and I think he's walking into a great spot well listen you did a terrific job all year with us we really appreciate it Uh, the fans love it the fact that you bring so much to the table every single Monday for us during the course of the year I love it because it gives us a chance to reconnect and kind of rekindle what we had with NHL live back in the day and Hopefully you'll have a tremendous summer, and uh, it, before we know it, we're going to be starting this thing back up again, and I would love you to be a part of it next year. Hey, my pleasure as always. Um, it's always good to, to chat with you. I do miss, uh, you know, that was a, it was a long time ago now we did that show, but people still do remember it, and I still refer to it from time to time because it was really a lot of fun. For me, it was probably one of the most fun things I've done in my career. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, it's, listen, I'll, I'm, anytime you need me, I'm certainly there. And uh, it's going to be a short off season and a busy one. So who knows? We could be talking way sooner than you even think. All right. Enjoy the summer, buddy. I'll talk to you soon. 
All right, you got it, Donnie. All right, that's EJ Raddick from NHL Now on the NHL Network. Did a great job calling all five games of the Stanley Cup Final for NHL International. So um, we spent a lot of time with EJ kind of going over at least treetops of what to expect over the next couple of weeks with the expansion draft, with the NHL draft, and all the movement and free agency. And it should be pretty hectic. I mean, here we are. Tonight would have been Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final had Montreal won Games 5 and 6. So we're technically still within the regular window of there possibly being games, but then bang, all of a sudden tomorrow, if there, even if there was a Game 7, we're talking about July 13th beginning a very quick off season because they want to have the first game on October 12th, and we'll see how that changes if they decide to go to the Olympics or not. So you're talking about two months of an off season before you actually play a regular season game. And, and so that means jamming in a two-month period in expansion draft, an entry draft, and camps, and trying to get a schedule worked out either with or without the Olympics and all the movement. So we're talking about like a 60-day period of just a scrambling, not a lot of time. So we're going to be all over it here. I want to come back on Wednesday so we can really dive into your tweets. Uh, we didn't get a chance to do it today because we had EJ and had so much to go over. But let's come back on Wednesday and let's really dive into what you're thinking about for the offseason, what you think your team should do as they get prepared for the 21-22 season. So at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. We'll line them up. We'll do it on Wednesday. And then Wednesday we'll announce how we're going to proceed forward through uh, the summer. Um, because we're not going to do it you know, three days a week, obviously, but we'll probably have to come up with maybe once a week unless something breaks or whatever. But I'll kind of give you the lay of the land coming up on Wednesday, how we're going to handle the next couple of months. So we'll be back with you again on Wednesday. Want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, of course, with the hashtag Game Misconduct. We'll talk to you again then. Thanks to EJ Raddick. As always, this was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.